Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Uh, so in this series, again, Smashing It, uh, we started this series at the beginning of the new year. It's a great new year series because we all, I guess we all want uh, the current year, or the, you know, this year to be better than last year. There's always things that we want to do better in ourselves and we want better circumstances, we want to have a better perspective and so we, we call the series Smashing It because we want to be smashing it in our lives. We want to be Smashing it, for those of you who don't know, is a good thing, okay? It may sound like it's a bad thing but it's actually a good thing. Smashing it means you're doing really well and we want to be smashing it because uh, we love, we do love quick fixes, right? We do like things to, uh, to get better quickly but we also know that in the things that matter in life, uh, quick fixes aren't really an option. What we want is slow, steady steps in the right direction because it's direction, not our intention, that determines our destination. I've said it every week. Direction, not intention. It's not our intention. It's the, it's the path that we take that will get us where we actually want to go. And we want to make steady steps in the right direction. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew... He dedicates three chapters, uh, chapters 5 and 6 and 7, to something we call the Sermon on the Mount. You will have, I'm sure you will have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, whether it was actually teaching that was in one place at one time, I don't know whether it's just a collection of Jesus' teachings, and maybe he, I'm sure he did speak on the side of a mountain at some stage, but I'm sure he spoke in other places as well. We've got this thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and in this sermon, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or you know, the, the, God's, God's kingdom. And he talks about how we can live a kingdom life and how the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of this world and how the rules are different and the principles are different. He challenges everyone's thinking and he uses statements like, you've heard it said such and such. You know, this, is, this is what you think is right, but I tell you this. So you think this but I tell you, there's something different about the kingdom of God and the way that you should live. Um, so he gives a lot of guidance. And right at the end of this sermon, he tells a story. This is right at the very back end of chapter 7. He tells a story about two men who set out to build a house. Okay, I'm sure you all know the story. One is in a bit of a hurry. One of these guys, the first guy, is in a bit of a hurry. And so he quickly looks around and finds a beautiful spot on the beach. And he starts to erect bits of wood and create this nice house on the beach. He wants to get his house up pretty quick. The second man, he takes his time. He draws up plans and he finds a nice firm spot and he starts to dig. So where the first guy is already going upwards, the second guy is building downwards. He's digging. Where the first guy is putting the roof on his structure... Uh, the, the second guy is filling in the holes that he's dug with, with rock and with concrete and with hardcore to get a firm foundation. And where the first guy is sitting on his porch drinking a margarita, I don't know, drinking a cocktail of some sort, uh, relaxing, the second guy is just starting his first course of bricks. And so they finish, eventually, they both finish, and both houses are built, and both houses from the outside look pretty nice. You look at them and think, yeah, 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 nice places to live. There's one guy on the beach there. And there's one guy uh, made of bricks, and, um, and they both look good. However, then the rains come, and the wind picks up, and maybe even 
the big bad wolf comes along and says, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. I don't know if that's in scripture or not. It's somewhere. Um, And the first house collapses at the first breath of wind. Whereas in the second house, that guy is sat there watching TV, drinking his cocktail now. He's kind of living it up because he knows, he's confident that his house is solid. Now, in telling this story, Jesus wasn't talking about building houses. He was actually telling his listeners that just hearing the word is not enough. Because both the first guy, the, the, what we know as the foolish guy, and the wise guy, they were both hearers of the word. They both heard Jesus' instruction. And Jesus gave a lot of instruction. Uh, message after message and they both heard the message they were both Jesus said hearers of the word and they both ended up with this house Jesus's point is it's not enough to be a hearer of the word it's not enough just to open your bible and read it it's not enough just to come to church on a Sunday and amen the sermon or sing songs or put in the offering it's not enough if you don't put what you read and what you learn into practice your foundation is not going to be strong. It's not going to be strong. And when the winds pick up in your life or the big bad wolf comes, which he will, because he does, okay, the winds always pick up. We always go through those times and we want to have a strong foundation so that when they do come, we can stand firm because everything is built on a solid foundation. We need to have a mindset that says, I'm going to put in the time that it takes to build a strong life, to build a life that's smashing it because it does, it does take time. I'm going to think about the place I want to get to, the destination I want to go, and I'm going to take the long route to get there, which is small and steady steps and consistent steps in the right direction. There's a book that uh, Fru and I have been reading. Uh, we read uh, at night in bed. We read, we read together, sometimes the Bible, sometimes books. We've been reading a book recently called Dream Big, and Think Small. It's by a guy called Jeff Mannion. He's a pastor of a church in America. And it's a great, great book. Uh, and in this book, he explores the concept of living an extraordinary life. Living a life that's smashing it. What does it look like? Living a life one day at a time, small and faithful steps. And then he makes this great statement towards the end. We, we read it this week. We come to the end of the book. And he said this. Most of us desire to live great lives. We fear we will fritter away our days without leaving any discernible mark on the world. But in our quest to live greatly, we search for something great to do, something big. And I believe this to be a huge mistake. Greatness is rarely achieved by doing great things, but instead by doing good things repetitively. The tragedy is that while waiting for great opportunities to come along, we miss out on a parade of good opportunities that march steadily by. Goodness is largely ignored because it seems, seems too common, too mundane, too everyday. And the truth is your influence is defined by a daily faithfulness, a holy redundancy that announces, today I will do it again. Today I will take the steps I need to take again. Now I really hope that you do want to be smashing it in your life because that's a good place to be it's a good starting point we can all do better and I think actually being a a lifelong learner is the thing that keeps us young I say us (laughs) yeah it keeps us young when we when we when we want to get better when we want to study we want to improve when we want to do things in a better way it's the start of a happier life I actually think it's a life it's the start of a life uh, that is smashing it small 
and consistent steps in the right direction, getting us where we want to go. So, so far in this series, we've covered relationships, we've covered marriage, we've covered parenting. Last week, we looked at uh, work, smashing it at work, and uh, we're going to continue that today. So last Sunday, I spoke about how we can smash it at work, but particularly in the world, in that place where we come into contact, where we interact with people who are not like us, people with different values and different beliefs, maybe people who don't believe in God. And if you miss that message, then the good news is you can hear it on a podcast. Because if you go to the sunnyhill.church website or if you go to iTunes, you can find the whole of this series. It's all been recorded on podcast, so you can pick them up anytime. Uh, also, um, the good news is that our sister campus over in Poole, um, all of their messages are also on podcast. They've been following the same series and the same titles each week, but the messages have been slightly different. And I've been listening to uh, Dom, who's been preaching there, and they've been great messages. So again, go to the website and have a listen to some of those messages too. It won't do you any harm. You never know. It might change your life. Today, though, I want to focus on, on I want to get down to the nitty-gritty on, on you, on me, on us as, as people. Okay, I want to, I want to get, uh, get right down to who we are and what we can, can do. And whether you're in school or you're in a job or whether you're unemployed or whether you're retired, I think the truth is we've all got work to do. We've all got things that we should do and we need to do. We all have individual and unique skills. And we all have an individual and unique personality to help us to do those skills. And it's a necessary part of the, of the human condition to be productive, to use what we've been given to bring benefit to ourselves and society. In fact, I was talking to Baz, who sat there this week. Baz, how old are you, buddy? I'm going to be 79 this year. 79 this year. Yeah. Baz works Amazingly, he, he works in a forge as a blacksmith, and he was telling me about these business ideas that he's got that he wants to start next, next, next year, right? He's got these ideas in his head. He's a great lifelong learner, and he's, he's so, it really blessed me when you told me, told me these things. Great, thanks, Baz. Thank you, Baz. And, and that's what we're looking at to, to see. Uh, we've all got uh, productivity in us, we've all got things that we need to do. So that's what we're going to look at. And our scripture, again, is taken from Matthew's gospel. It's, a, it's another parable that's more towards the end of the, of the gospel. And it's, again, it's one I'm sure you're familiar with, but I'm hoping that we'll glean some new truths today to help us to smash it. It's from Matthew chapter 25, from verse 14. If you have a Bible, then feel free to turn to it. It's going to be up on the screen anyway. And it starts like this. It will be like a man going on a journey. First of all, what does he mean by it? Well, he's talking about the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, living a kingdom life is like this. So it'd be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So there's a man in the parable going on a journey, and I think we're all pretty confident that this represents Jesus, who was going to go in away, and he's going to come back again. Okay? He's going away, and he entrusts something to us. He gives something. He puts something in our hand. And in the parable, he's talking about five bags of gold, or two bags of gold, or one bag, one bag of gold, and he puts it in our hands. And so my question today, and that's all I have. I have one question, one principle, if you like, that we're going to look at today, and it's this. What is in your hand? What has God put in your hand? What has God put 
in your hand. Now, this parable is often called the parable of the talents. Okay, that's probably what we've all heard. The parable is the talents because in some translation, that's the word it uses. It says he gave them talents. Now, a talent back then uh, represented a, a, a unit of weight. And it was a big unit of weight, something like 33 kilos. And so uh, a talent of gold, I was looking this up, it's something like in today's money, just over a million pounds. One talent. All right, so it's not insignificant what he's giving out. And, and from, from this parable, from the older translations, is where we get the word talent now, talking about our abilities and our skills. And you may have heard sermons on this where the preacher talks about how we've all got a talent, we've all got these abilities, we've all got these gifts, and you've got to use them. You've got to serve in church. You've got to serve in Sunday school or in the choir. Otherwise, you're going to be going to hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Pastor, for your encouraging word. Yeah. Okay. Firstly, I want a few things about that. Firstly, I don't think serving or not serving in church will determine our eternal destiny. All right? Let me just say that straight off. It's not going to determine whether we end up in heaven or hell. That's not right. Secondly, we serve here at Sunny Hill out of love, not out of fear or out of obligation. We serve out of love, love for each other, love for our community, and most of all, love for God who has saved us and brought us into a better life. We serve out of love. And thirdly, I just want to say one more thing about this. If you ever feel manipulated by something that I say, or any one of us at the front here say, in terms of giving or in terms of serving, come and talk to me because that is not our heart and it means there's been a miscommunication. I don't ever want you to feel like you have to do something. I'm going to inspire you to live what I think is the best life. That's my role. Okay? I never want to manipulate you into doing anything. Anyway, moving on, back to the parable. Interestingly, I don't think these bags of gold do represent talents. Because, or abilities or skills, because it says that he gave them different amounts, each according to his ability. And that would be like saying he gave them abilities according to their ability. That just doesn't make sense grammatically. So what does God give? I think he gives us responsibility according to our ability. He gives us response. It's like almost it's God's response to our abilities. So we have skills, we have talents, we have abilities that are, that are in us, that we've worked on, that are innate maybe. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you responsibility because of your ability. So God gives us responsibilities on a par with our abilities. Now it's true that the abilities we have are also God-given. But they're not given in a vacuum. God never gives us skills or talents or abilities for no reason. He gives them with a purpose. And you can sit, I'm sure you're all thinking now, what, what has God given me? What has God put in my hand? What can I do with what he's given me? Because if he's given you something, which he has, you can bet he's got a plan to use it. What I shouldn't be doing, actually, let me just, uh, a scripture that backs this up from Ephesians, Paul writing says, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. So if we're part of the body of Christ, which we are, that's what the church is, then we all need to do our part 
in order for the body to grow and build itself up. What I shouldn't be doing is looking at what others have got, whether that's their abilities or whether the responsibility that they carry, I shouldn't be comparing what I've got to them. What I should do is just look at what God's put in my hand, whether it's five bags or two bags or one bag or half a bag or even a very, very small bag. (laughs) Whatever it is that God's given me to do, that's what I look at and that's what I offer. Even if what you, th- you think that what you have is of low value, bring it. Just bring it. If that's what's in your hand, bring it because God will bless it. Maybe it feels like you've just got a, a small packed lunch and the need around you is so big. There's a crowd of people that are hungry and you've just got uh, two fish, five loaves of bread. Well, you bring it and you give it to God. Because who knows, he may well do a miracle and all those people you see around you may get fed by what you've got. Maybe you think, uh, all I've got is this jar of water, plain water, it's just plain tap water, that's all I've got. And the need around me, everybody's drinking wine and the wine is running out and all I've got is water. Well, you bring it. Who knows, maybe God will turn that thing into not just wine, but the best wine at the wedding. Maybe you think, all I've got is this this small jar of oil. And people around me are in a famine. It's just a small jar of oil, and my family is starving. You bring it. You offer it. Who knows, God will do a miracle, and that jar of oil will help to feed you and your family throughout the entire famine. Or maybe you think, all I've got is this stick. It's just a normal stick. And I've got to go and meet Pharaoh with just a stick. You give it to God. Who knows? Maybe he will use that stick and accomplish great things. Because when you bring what's in your hand, that's you being responsible for what God has given you. When you bring it, when you put it to work, when you offer it to God, when you work as if you're working for the Lord and not for man, anything can happen. Let me give you a story to uh, to demonstrate this. A few years ago, we were living uh, in a... um, Relatively small, three-bedroom, semi-detached, ex-council house. Uh, we was Fru and I, and we had three children at the time. And um, we were quite comfortable in this house. We fit nicely into a three-bedroom house. Fru and I in one bedroom, the boys in another bedroom, and Charlotte in another bedroom. And we heard about a family who, because of the economic crash, had lost their home. And so we thought, well, how can we help? Let's look at what we've got. Well, we've got this three-bedroom house. What can we do with it? Well, we ended up giving them two bedrooms of our three bedrooms, and we all ended up, five of us, sleeping in one bedroom for about, I don't know, seven or eight months. Charlotte actually slept on the running machine for all that time that was in our bedroom uh, on, a, on, a, on a blanket. Poor thing. She's never recovered. Um, uh, why am I saying this? Because were we ideally placed to offer two of our bedrooms? Well, no. Were there other people around who had bigger houses, maybe spare bedrooms? Yes. Did we feel like we had a specific word from God saying, you've got to do this? No, we didn't. We just actually, we read the Bible and we see that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And so we opened our home. And I'm not telling you this to see how good we were or see how good we are because that's not the message at all. The message is God was so faithful. And if you should have seen the journey that we've been on since making that decision where 
God blessed our home. He, he extended our home. We, we new extra bedrooms, extra bathrooms, bigger lounge, bigger kitchen, uh, right up until uh, the house that we're in now, which is more than we ever dreamed that we would, we would own. Because when you offer what's in your hand, no matter how small, God goes, ah, I see that. It means I know you will steward more. You can steward more. You'll be responsible for more. And that's how, that's how the kingdom of God works. It's different to how we would expect. You offer what's in your hand. God blesses it and multiplies it. So in terms of our work, perhaps you currently have a job that you're not enjoying, which is not the right fit for you. By all means, look for another job. Do that. It's, it's a good thing to do. Um, but in the meantime, look at what God's put in your hand to do and do it with all your heart. Do your best with it. Dom, in his message last week to the pool campus, he made a great statement. He said, God is less interested in what you do. He's most interested in how you do it. He's less interested in what you work. He's more interested in how you work. And because your attitude determines your altitude. Perhaps you don't have a paying job right now. Perhaps you're unemployed and you're looking for work. And I really pray that God will help you find the right job for you. In the meantime, though, don't wait. Don't wait around. Offer what you have. Find ways to be productive. Volunteer. Serve. Help someone. Give your time. I am certain that God will see it and God will bless that. Perhaps you're retired now. Perhaps you don't work anymore. You used to work and now you've retired. And you're thinking to yourself, my working days, they're done. They're over. Maybe you won't have a paying job again. But you've got so much to offer. You have so much to offer. You've got so much wisdom, so much experience, so many skills and abilities that people need. Don't bury it. Get a vision, maybe, for getting alongside young people and help them to go further and faster than you did. Because that's a good thing to do. Young people, don't think this is a message just for us mature folk. Now, I use that word mature very loosely. Um, don't think it's just a message for the older people among us. I know that your skills are developing and that you're learning and you're doing qualifications and your brains are forming, but you can still look at what God has put in your hands right now. The Bible is chock full of, of young men and women, teenagers, who gave what they had to God and then changed not just their own life, but changed nations because they were willing to serve with what they had. And that's the beauty of this, this particular principle, this kingdom principle. It's for everyone. It's for everybody. Um, it doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, if you're less able physically or more able physically. Race and creed and colour and age and gender, they don't come into this principle at all. We just need to look at what God's put in our hands and we open our hands and we use it. Because if we live life with open hands, guess what? It's ready to receive as well. If we live life like this, like the third guy in the story, we're not ready to receive what God has. So let's keep going. This is a good message right here, right? This is good. Okay, so let's carry on. He went on his journey, the man. He gave out these bags of gold and he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid 
his master's money. Do you see what happened there? Do you see the first two guys? It says he put his money to work, the money he'd been given, he owned it. The third guy, he hid his master's money. He never owned it. He never took it on. Let's carry on. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Do you see the difference? On one hand, you entrusted me. On the other hand, here is what belongs to you. Two of the servants, they took ownership of it. The third one never took ownership. Here is, this was your money. I hid your gold. Here is what belongs to you. And this is all about stewardship, this whole message. We are all given resources to steward. And when we steward them well, when we put those resources to work, when we take what's in our hand and we use it, God looks at that and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. Here's the blessings. We'll be happy together. You've been faithful with what was in your hand. I can give you more to steward. So look at what's in your hand. Own the responsibility. And where's the best place to start? Where's the best place to start? Well, the best place to start is wherever you are. When is the best place to start? Now, right now. There's a story, isn't there, of a guy... Uh, in a car, winding his window down and asking for directions. And the guy giving directions says, oh, oh, if I were you, I wouldn't start here. Like, he has a choice. He's there. I wouldn't start here. If I was trying to get there, I wouldn't start here. And maybe we're saying that, Adam, this is a great message, but I can't start here. I'm going to have to wait till I'm there before I, before I start. Because we think, because we have, we have this uh, temptation to think that I'm going to start to be generous when I have a little bit more money. That's when I'll start. Or... I'll start to be more caring when I've got a bit more time. Or we think, I'll start to be more attentive to my family when I have a better job at work that doesn't demand quite so much of me. Or I'll start serving at church on a team when I finish my exams, when things get a bit easier at work, when things get a bit easier in my life. And I get that. It's a natural response. But that's not how the kingdom works. That's not how the kingdom works. That might be how the world works. It's not how the kingdom works. God wants us to bring whatever we have in our hand right now. No more than that. No less than that. He will then bless that. And even if we start as a one-bag servant, if we do that, if we put this into practice, we will end up with two bags or five bags or ten bags or a hundred bags. There's no limit to the amount that God wants to give us. Okay, so right at the end of this parable, it gets a little bit harsh. His master replied, you wicked, 
lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch! Ouch! That is harsh. Why is this so harsh? Well, I think it's because, because Jesus knows that burying what we have, not being productive with what we've been given, it goes against everything that God has designed us to be. It goes against everything God has called us to be, and there are consequences. Uh, if we see, you know, I looked up this word productive, and the dif- dictionary definition of productive is uh, to be, uh, to be uh, yielding results. There's yielding benefits or yielding profits. And right at the very beginning of, of uh, human, human life in Genesis, uh, God blessed them and said, he's talking to Adam and Eve, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And in the next chapter, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are designed to be productive. We are designed to take responsibility with what we've been given and to use it um, for our own benefit, for other people's benefit, to be productive. And when we're not living that way, there are consequences. You know, there's so much around today. I'm coming to the end of my message now. But there's so much around um, in society that is designed to prevent us from being productive. And I know it's a question that you've probably all heard before. If you're young, you've probably heard it from your parents. Um, but my question is, how many hours are lost each day in worthless activity, in things like social media, in things like binge-watching Netflix, in gaming on your iPhone or on your tablet? You know this is a disease, and it's, it's a disease especially in our young people. Please uh, get what I'm saying in this. I don't think any of these things are in themselves necessarily bad. I like to play games and I like to watch a movie. I love going to the cinema. The problem is when these things become my reason for existence, when they take up big chunks of my time, when I replace productivity with passivity because it's easier, work becomes a bit of a distraction and we can't wait to get back to the entertainment. This happens. I see it again and again. I teach it. I teach it at a university. And in this university, obviously, I'm teaching young people. And, and you know, I see it in them the way. At the start of term, they're all keen. And gradually, I start to lose them as they start to do other things, whether they're gaming, often gaming, you know, and they lose six, seven, eight hours a day playing games on the screen. And they stop coming to lessons. They, stop miss, they miss deadlines. They don't do their assessments. And it's, it's, it's really bad. And I think it's also, it's being proved, or it's proved, but it's certainly evidence now that it's a big cause of mental health issues in our young people. Did you know that the biggest killer of young people in our society is suicide, which is linked to mental health, which is linked to feelings of isolation and low self-worth? It's true. This is, this is very real, and it's around right now. The, the truth is, the more that... Our society says it's getting connected. 
actually the less connected and the more isolated people are feeling. When we abandon productivity for entertainment, we stop looking outwards and we focus inwards only. And we lose touch with our reason for existence, which is to help people, to be productive, not just for ourselves, but for other people too. Living a life that adds value and meaning to others. When we work, when we are productive, and I'm not just talking about going to a place of employment, I'm talking about using the resources that we have, seeing what is in our hand and using it and growing it. When we do that, we add value not only to our own lives, we add value to our family's life, to our friend's life, and to society's life, and it brings about a deep sense of worth in us. So am I saying that we should get rid of all these other sources of entertainment? No, 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 I don't think so, because it's good to rest. It's good to to relax and to be able to relax. But maybe we keep in mind that these things are not the goal. They are not our purpose. They are an add-on. And also perhaps try and discover new ways to relax and uh, have downtime. It doesn't have to be passive. It doesn't have to be in front of a screen. What renews you? What restores you? What reinvigorates you? There are activities that can be both productive and restful. A walk with your friends, learning a new skill. That's something I love doing. I love learning new skills. DIY is something else I love doing. Working on the garden is something I don't like doing. (laughs) But my wife does. Thank goodness. She also loves baking and cooking. Mowing the lawn, I quite enjoy mowing the lawn. Getting a board game out with the kids, doing a jigsaw puzzle with someone. And you may think, oh, you sound like a 19th century throwback right now. And I'm not meaning to be. I guess, I guess if you're someone who spends a lot of time on these other things, on Facebook or on Brawl Stars or on a computer game or watches TV a lot, ask yourself how many hours have you spent in the last few days, in the last week, in the last month. Be honest with yourself. How many hours have I spent in the last year? What if I'd have taken half of those hours and put them into learning a new skill? How equipped would I be? I think there's a, there's a fact out there, I'm sure I've heard it, that it takes a thousand hours to become expert at something. You know, if you're spending a few hours a day on these other things, just spending half that, within two or three years, you could be proficient at amazing things. You could learn to juggle. I don't know why you would want to do that. But you know what? It's, it's, is it productive? Maybe not. Um, but you could learn to do something that's going to bring value to society. Also, I want you to ask yourself, and again, be honest. If you're someone who spends a long time on these things, how do you feel when you put the tablet down or you turn the game off? Do you feel good about yourself? I know personally, I don't. When I binged watch something... I don't feel particularly good about myself. I feel like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. It's a bit of a wasted waste of time. I wish I'd done something, something else. Be honest with yourself. Look at what's in your hand. You've all got amazing stuff. All, every single one of you has got amazing stuff in you. Look at what is in your hand. Own it. Use it. Be productive. 